Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast number 13. I'm joined again with my good friend John Hawkins from Martin Sullivan. And John and I talk a lot about a lot of different philosophical things in this business. And this morning we were eating breakfast uh, in Lincoln on our way out to uh, the Dealer Mine Summit in Omaha um, coming up here the first part of August. So we were uh, meeting here and we were stopped through Tractor House. They were showing us some, or Sandhill Publishing showed us some new stuff that Tractor House was going to put out. So um, John and I were sitting talking at breakfast about kind of what we saw happening over the next two to five years kind of in the marketplace and and how things might change uh moving forward so you know john glad you could be back with me hey thanks for having me on again yeah it's always a pleasure man like i always said i learn a lot from you every time you're on and and our conversation this morning was pretty good so before we jump into that though let's take a let's take a look at some of the stuff we see happening in the marketplace right now so um we are pretty much done with harvest. Seems like wheat harvest is pretty well wrapped up across everywhere, and we're kind of in that pre, um, you know, fall crop harvest mode. And you know, combines are getting to become a bigger and bigger issue. And it looks like a lot of dealers are kind of gearing themselves up to be um, pretty aggressive this fall in selling some maybe some aged combines or some older combines they might have in their inventory. Um, we're doing we're kind of looking at the same thing, and we were really uh, kind of plugging that all along and. Before we get too much too further carried away here, I wanted to make this announcement that um, I was working with Prairie Land Partners as a remarketing manager, and I've made a change now. I work for a 21st Century as a remarketing manager, and just wanted to say thanks to Daryl Pankratz for the the five years that I worked down there with him, and and all the all the great um, mentorship that I got from him, and and I really miss working for Prairie Land, but um, went back out to work for for 21st again, so. Um, started that here last week so I'm, I'm uh off to uh, off to a different journey here and and uh just want to say thanks to prairie land partners for all that they've done to me but so looking at the combine stuff moving forward um feels like to me that there's some there's some movement there and and we're being we're going to be aggressive with some combine stuff and so what are you seeing on, on the combine market john? yeah hey first of all congratulations thanks john uh, wish you the best there and uh Go from one one good organization to another. So, uh, what we're seeing on the uh, the combine market uh, marketplace, uh, demand is uh, is picking up as we get closer and closer to harvest. Uh, we're still seeing some some struggles with aged inventory, uh, and a lot of reasons. I always say uh, there's only one reason equipment goes aged. It's probably because you're either have it priced too high or have too much in it, and it takes the focus off that equipment. So. Uh, you know, as you said, we're going to be aggressive with some of our aged inventory, but other than that, we feel really, uh, real comfortable about the amount of demand we have right now, and uh, feel that uh, that the market uh, should uh, continue to be strong here for the last, you know, 45 to 60 days before harvest. You know, one thing I was surprised about when I look at the combine marketplace is that when you look at the the, the 16 model combines that you have out there, which I really thought there'd be more of a demand for those machines than there than there has been it seems like there there is plenty of people out kicking tires and looking at that stuff but just getting that machine closed which i think is indicative of the time and and definitely part of the um kind of overall economy that we're in right now but i really felt like those late model low hour machines would be uh, a, probably a more sought after commodity than what they were and what i could tell um even if we were competitively priced it seemed like anything over that 300 to three hundred twenty-five thousand dollar price point um, was really kind of a struggle for us to move early this year. Yes, uh, you know that really we are still in a retail market that was price point driven, and uh, 
we have been all, I think for the last four to five years, the, the price point continues to move up, but there gets to be a, uh, a you know, kind of a ceiling there. And uh, our 16 machines are really, uh, are really pressing that price point uh, mark in the, in the market right now. The good thing is there's not a lot of 16s out there. Um, from our side and and looking at kind of from a macro standpoint across the Midwest and across the across the country, there's not a lot of 16s out there compared to 13s, 14s. Uh, model your machines. It's just uh, as you said, getting the person to uh, to uh, um, decide to say yes to a three hundred thousand plus dollar uh, combine. That's a challenge. It has definitely been a challenge for us too, and. You know, I take a look at even leasing equipment now, um, combines. <clears throat> kind of seem like early on in the, in the whole leasing kind of fiasco that we've been going through here that the combine lease wasn't something the guy was even really entertaining a lot of the time. They were looking at it from, you know, I'd rather own my combine and lease my tractors. And, and now with the price of the used equipment the way it is and you're getting those those thirty dollars to $35,000 lease payments on some of these newer stuff, it is bringing some guys to the table to where you can look at the cost per hour. That's, in a lot of cases, it's, you know, it's under 100 bucks an hour, right at 100 bucks an hour, um, even up to 150 bucks an hour to to lease a very low-houred, late-model combine with some really great technology. And it seems like to me that that's how we're drawing those guys back in with, uh, with the payment and the warranty and just kind of managing that risk. You seen the same thing? Absolutely, yeah. We're we're looking at some uh, some really some different lease scenarios, and you know, as we as I said in our earlier podcast, leasing is not for everybody in our trade area. But uh, we are putting together some lease promotions, and we found some uh, some positive feedback from that, and we're going to continue to to look at that. And you know, I, I I put it this way: leasing equipment isn't for everybody, and and leasing equipment isn't for every piece of equipment you have too, and you have to be a little bit strategic. With how you, uh, how what what equipment you choose to lease and how you uh, choose to approach that lease. Yeah, yeah, and that's very much so. We, we <clears throat> one thing I was working with the other day was taking a lease payment um, over a three-year period and taking a three-year um, traditional note and to to uh, structure that residual payment on the back end. And so you had a six-year kind of a payment structure versus a five-year traditional note. And the one thing I found that was neat about that was that that six-year you know hybrid lease note uh payment deal was that there was about four thousand dollar difference between the payments uh compared to a five-year traditional note on that hybrid area so um real quick on that were you trying to build some equity through the lease as well what we're trying to do is, is really take that residual payment and then say okay so at the end of the time you have you have some functional possible functional um equity into that into that piece and then when you did that you could take what equity you had roll it over into that that three-year payment structure and it actually made the payments almost exactly the same as it was on a three-year structure but you were freeing up that cash on the front end by about twenty thousand dollars a year ish somewhere right mm -hmm. around there it's like fifty eight thousand dollars worth of cash for the first three years to kind of help them limp through this this kind of tight crunch in the ag market right now and that was that was my focus was freeing up cash and then also trying to really drive that that equity statement at the end um showing that a customer like it may take you one more year but you're at the end of this the, pretty much the same time frame you own the machine at the end but you have a little more options in the middle to kind of make a decision as to that's, what you want to do that's the type of creativity you, you have to come up with in markets like today great yeah i think and that's really what when you look at right now what i'm seeing is if you're creative in the marketplace at least bring those options to a guy 
they're more they're more apt to to really start talking about maybe doing something different than what they have now instead of just focusing on I got to make a payment I got to make a payment I got to make a payment it's you know lowering the payment increasing that cash giving them some some uh, oh, latitude in the middle to kind of make a decision halfway through if they want in or if they want out to keep going and in a lot of instances I really feel like some of the stuff there is going to be some equity in three years you know, I'm kind of looking out three years ahead of time and seeing that I feel like around 2020 that we should start seeing some some ease, yeah. you know, in the in the marketplace based on the amount of equipment that'll be flushing through the the cycle by then. It's a great way to look at it. <clears throat> All right. So this morning we were talking about what we kind of how we saw the, the the equipment marketplace looking like over the next two to five years, and you know, basically everything is kind of happening now and and. And the different situations that not only not only farmers are in, but but dealerships are in, um, kind of what we thought that landscape would look like, and and um, I kind of look at it that I think that there's going to be dealerships are going to rapidly expand over the next three to five years because the number of farmers are going to dramatically shrink, and the farm the farming operations are going to get just bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and they're going to start covering such a, a more massive scale that the number of single store dealerships or I'm sorry, single uh, dealer organizations are going to have to combine uh, to keep, to keep growth going. And then how we interact with the producer and, and how that looks like going through the, through the next trade cycle or the next, you know, three to five years. And I see as, as the uh, dealer groups get bigger and the farmers get bigger um, that there's going to be, a harder time for us to say we're going to have a you know one guy that's a, that's a big massive multiple discount guy and and I think those multiple discounts are going to start fading off because dealerships won't be able to absorb the amount of inventory and you'll, and you'll look more of it like a I don't know if a if a construction company type model would be the same where they they're looking at a per job basis or a per machine usage basis on when they decide to trade something in and out of their fleet. I see auctions becoming a, a bigger part of that, and that it'll be more of a producer-driven auction market, and not necessarily a dealer-driven market. And <clears throat> I just think that's going to be a, a complete and utter change in the marketplace as to how we deal with our um, customer base and and how we we look at looking at equipment. And like you said today, when we were eating when we were eating breakfast, was that you know we're we're remarketing managers are going to become more marketers of equipment then they are going to become the guy who places the number on there so expand on that a little yeah. bit john it's what you yeah you, you know think. i we, we i've been this has been something that's been near and dear to my my heart and my head for the last uh for the last year or so and in looking at where the market's going comparing it to other markets out there um and and just looking at it and, uh, uh we're dealing with uh as we say bigger more expensive equipment uh, a declining a declining customer base to match it to and uh, you know I just really think that uh, more emphasis is going to have to be put on marketing the equipment the, the finished product instead of trying to buy it right I think that there's enough data out there in today's market that uh, that's a very readily available for the customer and for the dealership that uh, placing a value is going to be uh, it's going to be one of the easier things but finding that buyer the next buyer the person that wants that one particular option, 
that, that's going to be where the challenge is going to be at here in the next uh, in the next three to you know three to five years, and uh, um, you, that that can mean more to the sale than if I if I buy it at at auction or wholesale is if if I can sell it for retail, and that sometimes can mean more 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 dollars. You know, it might be it might have the risk, but. Uh, the potential to sell it at, at the asking price and find that buyer that's willing to pay that. I think that's where the, uh, I think that's where the real finesse and the art's going to come from in the next in the next few years. I think you're right too because when I, when I look at value and equipment now, there's only there's, there's two numbers that I really pay attention to that, that are going to drive my behavior and how I how I market something, and that's going to be what what the comparable pieces that we have sold are what those numbers what that looks like and then what the auction data looks like and then I'm gonna take those two numbers and that's how I'm really gonna derive you know <clears throat> what I ultimately think the machine is gonna sell for a plan A plan B type scenario and then I'm gonna look at the retail marketplace and see how my machine is gonna fit into there so I can have it in a good marketable spot as the way it is I mean right now is a great example in the in the economy that we're in you take a look at how hard it is to go find a customer now to buy a $300 plus anything, whether it's a new piece or a used piece, it doesn't matter. Um, that's getting harder and harder. Um, and, and granted, it, ha it is a sign of the economy that we're in and, and dealing with the customers that, that we deal with. Um, but all that being said, um, it's going to continue to get harder to find, irregardless of what the price of corn is or wheat or soybeans or whatever that is, it's going to continue to get harder to find buyers to, to, um, to functionally be able to buy those, those caliber of machines because they're going to, the acres that they're going to be covering are going to be so much smaller than what they have been in the past. That, that's, that's absolutely right. And that's, uh, and that's where I've came up with this whole thing of really focusing in and remembering what my, or what our titles are. That's remarketing mm -hmm. manager. It's, it's not an asset, uh, asset manager, even though that's part of our, part of what the hats we wear, but, uh, it's remarketing, finding the buyer to buy that at retail. Yeah. And that's, that's going to be really the, the key moving ahead. And, uh, I think it's going to just greatly uh, compound over the next year or so as we started. We talked about in our last podcast about the number of, uh, of retirement and, and estate auctions. And I, I think we're going to really feel uh, a lot more of that impact yeah. next year into your year, year coming mm -hmm. rather than right now. So. Yeah. yeah, and I think because we're looking at a lot of, of generational farming that has taken, has taken place that doesn't have someone else coming back into the mix. Um, that seems to be a bigger and bigger um, part of the landscape, and uh, the ones that are coming back, those those operations are growing, and they have a pretty good plan of how they're going to grow their grow their farming operation. Um, so, you know, I'm taking a look at at the stuff that we're doing and and all the the things that are out there. I, I agree with John that I think there's going to be more of an emphasis on the remarketing manager position, um, really targeting in on. How are we going to bring buyers to the table? Without a doubt. So, as you take a look at uh, kind of coming through the end of the year, what do you see happening in your neck of the woods? And, and what do you see happen with it? Seems like the soybean talk is just crazy right now, but the, the prices really aren't. They'll go up one day and they'll take off and make a run, but it still seems like there's a lot of volatility. What are you seeing in your marketplace, and what do you feel like is going to happen towards the end of the year? 
Yeah, I, uh, you know, it's hard. It's hard looking at the crystal ball, especially right now, and 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 saying this is what's going to happen. But uh, you know, at least for our neck of the woods and where we're at in western and central Illinois, um, for the most part, we're going to have a fairly decent crop, barring any. Uh, some catastrophic event between now and harvest knocking on wood as I say that but uh, you know um, our crop looks good our prices aren't aren't uh, aren't stellar but uh, we, we all know that uh, farmers tend to buy off bushels as much as they buy off price so we have the bushels there in place um, or, or look to be in place so I think that the the fourth quarter of this year uh, it could be a good quarter for us. I mean, there's still going to be a, there's still a lot of pent up buying demand um, with people who, as we talked about before, with you know they maybe haven't traded a planter for four or five years and and they're 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 ready to they're ready to replace that. Or they haven't traded their tractor now. They got a 30 series tractor that they've had for for uh, you know you know five six years and or, or more and they get, it's got three thousand hours on it. They're not used to having a tractor with that many hours. I think there's, there's going to be demand there. It's just with the market and how open, how um, transparent it is, you just got to have that right piece that matches their needs. Because if you don't, um, I think our customers are, are just fine with uh, right now fixing it and wait till they get that right piece. Yep. <clears throat> and I, I pretty much echo what you just said there. I mean, we start looking at tractors now. I've looked at more 3,000-hour tractors of any scale that I've looked at you know, since I've been doing this the last 11 years, if you take any, any given year and looked at a five-year-old tractor, rarely did I see one that had 3,500 hours on it, 2,800 hours on it, you know, just didn't seem like that number of hours were being put on machines. And, and now we're starting to see that. And these guys, like you said, they're coming back in with these, these tens, 11, 12, 13 models machines. And they're saying, you know, Hey, I need, I want to trade up to a whatever, here's what I'm looking for. Do you have it? And, you can tell that they're not in a big rush to do that because of the specs that they're asking for. They're very specific about that that unit that they're asking for, that one option they got to have, you know, whatever it might be. I want, you know, six remotes instead of four. Well, you can add six remotes, but they don't want to add six more. So they want the machine that came from the factory with six remotes, you know. So it's things like that. What you said about combines, I think that's that's right on too. I mean, there's these guys are, uh, um, you can fix a lot on a combine right now. Um, for ten or fifteen thousand bucks, twenty thousand bucks, comparatively to what you have to spend on a, on a payment. Now, the backside of that is, do you still have a payment, and you're going to spend twenty thousand dollars on that machine? Um, it's the, it's the paid for equipment right now that we are having a hard time getting guys to let go of because it's paid for and they can afford to fix it when it's paid for, um, more so than they can when they have to still have to make a payment on it. So their equity position is is so strong that they're not necessarily ready to give that up yet. Um, if I had, it feels like if I had a, uh, a lot full of, of 70 series combines, I could probably get rid of every single one of them. But that being said, if I had a lot of 70 series combines, there'd be something wrong with the ones that I had that would be, I have a hard time selling those. So, um, it's kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't scenario, but at the same time, um, those $150,000 and less combines are, are what's selling. And it seems like those 125 to $100,000 row crop tractors aren't aren't sticking around very long either that, that's for sure you know we talk about we talk about the customer that they're willing to wait and, and why they're willing to wait is when they bought that 30 series tractor they may maybe they bought it a year old with four or five hundred hours on it it was a 8430 with ILS power shift 
they might have gave 170,000 for that tractor with 200 hours on it. Now they're looking at that same tractor in today's market. It could be well over 250, and they're saying, "Hey, if I'm going to spend that much money, if I'm going to spend $300,000 or $280,000 on a used 8370 or 8345R. It better be just what I want." Yeah. And I think it's just, it's just that with the price points of where they're going, yep. they're going to be very specific and very demanding of making sure that that that's the right piece. Exactly right. You know, you, like you said, you asked the guy to, to take in a machine that he bought three or four or five years ago for $180,000 now, and you might give him $100,000 on trade for that yeah. same machine. Mm-hmm. And he's going to flip around and have you know equity and stuff that he has in it, but he'll, he'll flip around and still have a $180,000 machine. Um finance now and that's 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 something i think they're looking at and they're just they're seeing man just the price of use compared to what the what the use coming in looks like and how that whole thing comes together is getting to be a a bigger and bigger gap of guys that's why that's why i'm so concerned about how what the used market looks like coming forward because again we're relying on you know customers to come buy a two hundred eighty thousand dollar row crop tractor or a, a three hundred twenty-five thousand dollar combine, or three hundred fifty thousand dollar combine, and typically those those same customers that we're asking to do that for us, those those are the same guys we're talking to about putting a mud together on a on a new deal, you know, and it's 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 the kind of the pick and choose of who, who you want to talk to you about that, but unfortunately right now in today's marketplace, the new buyer is the same one that can afford the that higher dollar used piece, so we're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. You're so right. That's been something that I've been looking at for the last, you know, really the last four or five years. Saying, okay, if we're gonna, if we're gonna build a sales plan, we're gonna have to be very strategic about it, and we're gonna have to pick out the people that are going to be good new buyers, the people who are gonna be good used buyers too. And yeah, these good used buyers might be able to buy new, but maybe it fits into the business plan to to put them behind uh, one or two people, and uh, it it just becomes. A very strategic structure that you have to look at and do, and and that's not for everybody. And it's hard, and uh, it takes a lot of time and thought. So um, that's that's going to be a challenge for everyone here moving ahead. But if we want to continue to grow and be stronger as dealer groups, that's what we're going to have to do. And to your point there, understanding your customer base, knowing what that segmentation looks like, and who those customers are, and what what are their plans moving forward. And I, sometimes I feel like we have this blinders on when we go talk to a customer that they're traditionally always a new buyer or they're you know they're pretty particular about what they want we don't we honestly don't know a hundred percent of what their situation is and and getting to know what that customer is doing or not doing um because i've had customers or salesmen talk to me about customers i said i can't believe this guy's looking at a use piece he never looks at a use piece before and now he now he wants to get a price on this late model low hour whatever it is and so that tells me You've got to know what, what your customer base looks like and how you're going to do that. And it kind of goes back to um, knowing your washout cycle, how many you're going to go through, who your customer base is, and start building that plan right away. So um, it's this, this kind of this selling equipment thing is going to get tougher um, before it gets easier. And um, we've got, a, I think, a couple, three years yet before, yeah. we, before we kind of bounce back to the good old days. <clears throat> so, yeah, so I think there's just uh, there's plenty of – Plenty, plenty of opportunities. Even though we're in a, and in, in where we're at, but there's also a lot of, like you said, strategic planning that's going to have to go into understanding how you're going to deal with your customers. Now, looking, we just closed up. Well, it's still going, but the first phase of EOPs got done here. So, 
when you look at your planner sales, do you feel like you, you were as successful with planners as, as you thought you'd be? You know, we had a, we had a really a pretty positive planner EOP this year. Um, we had a goal in mind of where we wanted to be at. Once again, we're looking at, okay, how many, what's our three year average of used inventory or used sales and trying to back in our new sales to that. We kind of went in with a specific uh, sales goal to match used demand and uh, we came real close to that. I still think we'll hit that goal this year. Um, so we're real happy with that. Same thing with sprayers. I mean, sprayer EOP went great for us. And, uh, you know, now the challenge is, is we got the used equipment. Right. Now let's figure out how to turn it, you know, two and a half, three times and, uh, and, 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 and match it up to our, to our, uh, to our used demand that we were hopefully projecting we got out there. Yeah. And that's exactly where we were too. So I was very aggressive on planners this year. Um, relatively speaking, compared to, to years past, because we didn't have the used inventory out there or the used um, client base actually to even really go, that was even interested in doing anything with planners at all. So I felt like this year was our we strike while the iron's hot type of thing, and that there was enough older planners out there that we could go out and, and, and generate our own used marketplace. And since there's a complete lack of, of used planners on the marketplace for other people to even go shop, I mean, they're out there, you can go find them. But there really aren't that many used planners on the market, comparatively speaking to what there was maybe two years ago, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So now when you take a look at what's out there, I felt like we could pretty much isolate our AOR and our, our area that we were, we would want to cover in um, with the planners that we had coming back. Um, I felt like we were pretty successful in, in what we had sold um, new-wise, and I feel like there's enough information there to get guys moving forward into the spring when those things come in that we can start pre-selling those planners. There's going to be some action there because, like, like you said, there are some of our planners that we have are probably anywhere from three to seven-year-old planners. Most of them kind of falling in the middle around five years old. So I feel like there's a lot of guys that have those seven, eight, nine-year-old planners that that are worth forty, fifty, sixty thousand bucks um, that are going to want to trade those in on those those newer kind of $100,000 somethings, and, and I think we've got that there. I really feel like that our marketplace has a has a pretty good shot at, at really making some some good inroads into selling some used planners with what we have on the marketplace. Yeah, I would I would say the same thing. You know, I was really, from our standpoint of how our, uh, you know, really how our sales force handled the planner EOP this year, our salesmen did a great job, and they, they got a ton of quotes and uh, this year, and I, I'm sitting there, I'm looking at what our close ratios were, and I'm like, man, we're, we're really low because we got a lot of quotes, but then as I, uh, as I talk to the sales guys, a lot of these guys, these customers, we quote, we went and evaluated their planner, what they're, they're looking for is that one and two year old planner, that in three year old planner that we're trading for, so Hey, uh, you know that's great. I think we'll have you know some real good success. We'll we'll turn some equipment quite a bit here, and uh, it's just kind of what the the doctor asked for when we're how we're how we're attacking this EOP, how we attacked it this year. Hopefully, we can mimic the same thing with combines yeah. moving ahead, and you know down the road. I don't think it's going to be this year or next year, but maybe we can we can take the same approach with tractors too yep. and uh we can do that that there comes in that strategic plan that we were just talking about yeah and i think you're right i think combines i'm, I'm still kind of leery that we're going to be able to generate that quote-unquote used marketplace and, and and really get after that to the extent of we can on planners just because of the numbers that are out there but that being said i really feel like if you look at 
your used combine marketplace, those late and low model hour, or late and low hour stuff, if you haven't priced correctly and you know who you're going to go to when they come in, you, like, you could, could generate some buzz inside your area on those, especially on tractors. There's a lot of guys that are actually looking for that 2,500 hour to 4,000 hour R-series tractor. You know, we yeah. talk to them all the time and they're, and they're looking for those, um, especially when you use something like a, you know, either power guard or if power guard won't cover it, machinery scope to, to put on that machine when it leaves. Man, I'll tell you what, you got yourself a, a pretty good, a pretty pretty good sellable machine there. And I just feel like there's there is some there's some pent up stuff out there and, and knock on wood, you know, guys will go to market uh, with their uh, with their corn and beans that they cut and the prices are good. It seems like they're coming up, they're fluctuating, but they're down today again, like always. But um, but tomorrow we'll come back in and they'll be up twenty five, you know, and corn will be up 12 or 15 cents and then you know beans will be up a quarter you know and then it'll just take off and run so i feel like there's enough volatility out there that there guys can make moves and really make good things happen so um sprayers mm-hmm. i felt like sprayers for us we had a you know being a cad dealer there was there was plenty of action out there for us um but it seems like some of the farmer sprayers um that we, were, that we work with it seemed like they had a Really kind of looked at that R-series sprayer that had, you know, a few hours on it, 1,000 hours, 1,500 hours. And we were selling those a lot faster than I expected. And and it seems like the anything on either end of that, you know, if we had a five or 600-hour machine, just wasn't selling fast as, as some of these, even the 1,500-hour machines out, out, or with more, more hours of 1,500 on them, they didn't seem to be pretty stagnant as well. But it seemed like that 1,000 to 1,500-hour range, we were selling a lot of them. Um, seen similar action your yeah, way yeah yeah i would i would say uh we saw we saw some pretty good action with sprayers uh you know this sounds this sounds crazy but we went into this uh this eop with zero use sprayers um uh self-propelled and it actually was it was uh, i don't know if it was too awesome because we we lost some sales and it, because we didn't have the inventory and uh there was the demand out there like you said um, we don't want to be in that boat again. Right. Um, so, you know, we're pretty aggressive on, on some sprayers this year and some self-propelled market. Now it's, uh, it's the fact that hopefully we can go back out there. If a guy decided not to trade, re-energize that, that deal and, and try to sell some of these trade-ins we got. And, uh, you know, um, once again, like I said before, uh, we're still really trying to scratch the surface and understand what the market's going to be for us on this high clearance Hagee sprayer. Yeah. Now there's a, there's a lot of, uh, it being uh, covering the northern half of the state of Illinois, there, there's just a, there was a lot of Hagies sold up there always. They were always supported very well, and I think we can be able to support them just as well, almost as well as they were supported, you know, when it was when it was owned by Hagie. Um, but uh, you know, I think that uh, that market there um, has me a little confused just for the fact that I, we just, we just don't know what it's going to do. I mean. We understand that that this this Hagee has demand, but we don't we don't know what the demand is this year. And we need a couple of years of experience. But I, I really, from what I can see, what I hear, and kind of what my gut tells me, that that fifteen hundred hour sprayer, that's a Hagee. It's going to be very popular to our farmer customer. Mm-hmm. Guy's going to look to want to do some multiple passes, so maybe some things he couldn't do in the past. That now he's going to say, well, hey, I can go back through and do one or two more passes you know and uh so 
we're going to wait and see how that one plays out in our market. But uh, you know, I think there's some there's some real positive things to say on sprayers and and, and planters in general after the COP. So your use sprayers when you came in and you, you know you said you'd sold out. Was that did you sell out because of the, of that demand that came up? kind of first of the year uh, no we we sold out more for the reason that uh as some of us other dealers felt you know two years ago uh -huh. of taking such a such a hit on sprayers because we we're sitting on uh you know two eops ago we're sitting on 30 to 45 sprayers going into eop and we're yeah. saying what in the world are we going to do with these so we we cut demand back or we cut supply back by just limiting sales and you know sometimes you cut it back too far and then you don't have you don't have the use that right. to meet the demand and all of a sudden the demand goes away because you didn't have the supply right. and uh, oh as I always say you know that's that's the one place I don't think you want to be at as a, as a remarketing manager as a dealership is that you put on the brakes so much that you actually hurt demand because of the lack of supply so when you start, when you took this job as your marketing manager, you didn't get the the standard issue crystal ball where you can see the future. Uh, no, you still have that. Oh, I'm okay. pretty sure. I, I've seemed to misplace it. Then I don't know where I put mine at. <laughs> well, John, I think that's a, we're going to do it for this uh, this episode, man. So before we take off, do you have any uh, any words of wisdom you want to pass you know, on to I, everybody what, out there? Just keep working hard, keep grinding away every day on used equipment, and uh, stay in front of your customers. Good deal, John. Well, thanks for being on the podcast, and that's going to do it for this edition of Moving Iron Podcast. I'd like to thank John uh, for being my guest in this episode. Remember, if you want to continue any of these conversations, you can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or you can send me an email at movingironpodcast at movingironpodcast.com. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and SoundCloud. So until next time, let's go move some iron. This is Casey Seymour, out.